interesting. I was thinking uh, how I have been training for this for a long time and didn't even know it. Um, I have a special set of training, actually. Um, when Sherry and I lived in South Dakota, uh, worked at a, a boarding high school, um, I, I was able to uh, fill some pulpits around the area and uh, preach every so often. And, and uh, so I was invited to come preach at a church in Redfield, South Dakota, which was about an hour and a half from where we lived. And uh, so Sherry and I and baby Allison got in the car and uh, we drove an hour and a half Sunday morning to go to this little church in Redfield. And, and we got there, um, our family roughly doubled the size of the congregation. There was four people in the church in Redfield that regularly met. And so, you know, went through the, like, the full service, that kind of thing, and there's, there's now like, you know, seven or actually six out there and one up here, and, and kind of similar to today. Um, but, but, but this isn't new for me. Um, after the service, uh, they paid me $50, and Sherry and Alice and I went to Taco John's and got a 10-pack and a pound, which if you've never been to Taco John's, a 10 pack and a pound is 10 tacos and a pound of tots. And so we paid 10 bucks for that and then we um, ate and got in our car and drove the hour and a half back home. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of funny that um, we just, this is where we are and this is where God has us. And, and it's interesting, I've been kind of looking around and, and thinking this week a little bit about um, what message needs to be shared today. And, and it's interesting because I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach the, the same message that, that we planned on preaching um, over a month ago when we were planning the, this series. Um, it's the same thing that I, that I wrote down uh, Monday when I, when I was working on my study day. It's the same message. And, and it's, it's interesting because so much has changed since Monday. And really the only thing that's, that's, that's maybe changed in the sermon this morning is the application part. But there's a reality that I don't think it matters where you are in Scripture. God's Word the stories, the callings, the mission, they are relevant to whatever is happening in your life and the world around us. It always is. Um, I think of the story I, I shared uh, a number of weeks ago about Adrian Rogers, a pastor from Tennessee who was on a plane and he had his big Bible out and, and the guy next to him said, why, why do you read that in kind of a negative way, negative skeptical way? And, and, and Adrian responded to him by saying, um, you know, there's only three problems in the world, sin, sorrow, and death, and this addresses all three. And, and I believe that, that God's word addresses all the things that we're facing. And I don't even think we need to shift gears. We just go with what God has laid before us. And uh, I think this morning, it's just super cool how the spirit works, that uh, what we're gonna be reading in, in, in Colossians chapter three today is exactly the message that we need to hear. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to, uh, actually, Colossians chapter two. We'll be starting in verse six. Um, you know, Colossians, and, and even today especially, um, is about the idea of who Jesus is and who we are because we are in Christ. When we surrender to Jesus and place our trust in him, our identity is already defined. We are defined, we are characterized, we are, we are identified the problem that many of us run into is that we don't realize what we already have and we allow the, the world around us, our culture, our traditions, our philosophies, all of these things, we allow those things to define us and, and, 
and, and push us in a direction of saying, no, 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 this is what you can be or this is what you should be or this is what you're not. And, and the reality is that, that Jesus has already identified us. He is our identity. And, and so Paul talks about that this morning. Um, I'm gonna start reading in, in verse six and, and uh, I'm just gonna kind of walk through it slowly because I, I just, I'm so excited about what God's word says and, and what the message is for this morning. And so in verse six, um, right out of the gate, Paul says this, he says, therefore, coming off of describing who Jesus is, coming off of describing who the, 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 the reputation of, of those in the church in Colossae, he says, therefore, as, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. So verse six, we start off and he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He says, this is a past event. This is something that's already happened in the lives of the believers in the church at Colossae. The object of, of received is Jesus. So they received specifically Jesus. They welcomed both the person and the authoritative teaching of Jesus into their lives, and they began to, to behave and, and do things according to that. And how they did it, they received Jesus, was by faith, the work was actually done on them and not by them. And, and so when he says that you've received Jesus Christ, the Lord, he says, you have previously, this is a done work. You already have received him. This is a done deal. And, and, and you've received it. Jesus has come into your life. You didn't necessarily do anything to deserve or, or accomplish, but it's a work that's done on you. You've received him. And so then he goes on. He says, therefore, now that you've received in the past, Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. And, and so the received part, that's Jesus is, is already there. The walk part is, is, is what we're doing now, present and moving forward. And so walk, this idea of continue what's already been happening. doesn't matter if you're slowly walking or walking fast, but, but walk means you're moving. And so he says, now walk in him. And the reality is that the walk in Christ is that you have identified yourself with Jesus Christ. So continue living out your true identity. Continue living that out and understand what Jesus believes about you. You see, as we go through the book of Colossians, what we'll find is that Paul bases everything off of this idea that we've been identified with Christ and everything he talks about is, is grounded and anchored in our identity in Christ. And so as, as we talk about this idea of walk in him, Walk in him is this idea where Paul is basically saying, you know, the things that I'm asking you to do, the things I'm asking you to walk in are discipleship things. The ways I'm asking you to behave or to not behave, the grounds for me asking that is that you've identified yourself with Jesus. So what I'm asking you to do is it's because you've identified yourself with Jesus and I'm not gonna teach you to do anything Jesus didn't model first. And some of the things I'm gonna tell you will sound difficult but the basis is grounded in this decision that you say you've made. You say that you have received Christ, that your identity is now in Christ. And so that's what is the, the anchor and foundation of all these things. See, there's a consistency between saying you follow Jesus and actually following Jesus. We can say things, but are we walking those things out? 
And so really what following Jesus is walking in him is this process of surrendering my will and my preferences and even my nature to Jesus. And that's true for every single person, no matter who you are, is that we are in a process of surrendering my will because my will is not aligned with Jesus. My preferences will, will often be different than Jesus. And my very nature, because I'm impacted by sin, is not lined up with Jesus. And so surrendering that. Secondly, trusting that Jesus is enough for all that I've given up. Trusting that, that, trusting that Jesus is enough for all I've given up or all that's been taken away, all I've lost. Whatever it is that Jesus is actually enough for that. And then thirdly, obedience to what Jesus asks of me. That I would walk in him obediently, whatever Jesus asked, that that's what I'll do. And so, and so that's this, that kind of is what Paul's saying when he says, you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. And, and so he begins to unpack that walk in verse seven, where he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you are taught abounding in thanksgiving. Now rooted, built up, and established are, are three they are, they are actually three um, verbs that are, that are passive participles. So as we walk through this, what you need to understand is we look at rooted, built up, and established. Their, their very force of grammar is, is that they, it means that, they were, the, the, that the work being done here is not by the subject, or, but by someone else. So what that means for us as we look at these first three verbs in verse seven is that God is the one doing this work, not us. We're not rooting ourselves. We're not building up ourselves. We're not establishing ourselves. God is doing the work in us. So first of all, he says being rooted, which a good way to maybe even say that, string that out is, is having been rooted already, it's past, and still rooted. So it's this plant-like analogy that you got planted and now you're growing because, because plants have to get planted because plant, a plant doesn't have the capacity to plant itself. It's an action being done to it. And, and so, so, so the idea there is that you've been rooted by God in Christ. And then he says built up, which switches to kind of a, a, a construction illustration, building a found, of a foundation, becoming nearer and nearer to completion in Christ. And so again, a building doesn't build itself. A building is built by something else. And so, so we see in these first two verbs, rooted and built up in Christ, that our identity is dependent upon and subject to Jesus. He's the one doing it. He's the one giving us our foundation. He's the one building us. And then he says, established in the faith. Established, or, or, or that would also be strengthened. That who is it that strengthens us in the faith? God does. And it's in the faith is, is, is that faith is Jesus as revealed in the gospel, not necessarily a, a, an individual's personal faith, but, but the, the faith, the, the universal faith that, that what the Bible reveals about who Jesus Christ is. And so we are rooted, built up, and strengthened in the faith. And again, those are all things that are being done to us by God. Those aren't things that we do. And those are all things that are already accomplished. They're done in the past. And so those things are all true of the one who follows Jesus. And then, and then we get to the, the, the end of, of verse seven, where it says, 
just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And there's, there's again, there's a, a grammar shift here where abounding in thanksgiving, abounding, this verb, is an active participle, which means the response, it is the response of the subject for what has been done for them. And so our responsibility, see, God's, God's not doing the work of thankfulness. We're responding out of thankfulness for what God has done. Abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing, like these large quantities and and thankfulness. Thankfulness is often a litmus test for the believer's health and maturity. Thankfulness accompanies one who's recognized who Jesus is and what he's done. In fact, an early indicator of a departure from God is a lack of gratitude or thankfulness. In Romans 121, Paul begins this whole, this whole slide, this downward spiral of, of sin by saying, and they did not thank their creator. It began with unthankfulness. And, 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 so, and so we see that our response then, the thing, the thing that should characterize those who follow Jesus is gratitude, is thankfulness. And, and so Paul begins by saying, by saying, you know, here, 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 Here's how you are defined. Here's who you are. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him because he already has rooted and built you up in Christ and established or strengthened you in the faith and you're really, the only thing you carry is, is, is this abundance of thanksgiving. So then he moves on and he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses of the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to a cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And, and so, so here he, he, he says, now this is true of you, this already being true of you, how do you walk? How do you live out that abundant thanksgiving? Well, it's, it's, it's the fact, first of all, that everything is inferior to Jesus. He's already said that, that, that you are in Christ, and he says everything else that, that the world has to offer or move you toward is inferior he says, he, he brings up philosophy. He says, don't, 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 get, don't get caught up or don't get taken by philosophy. Philosophy is a belief system accepted as authoritative by a group or a school of thought. It's all the isms, basically. It's all the, the terms that, that have a view of the world and a view of life. And if you've got kind of ism at the end. And, and all of these philosophies, they, they can be helpful in some ways, but they are inferior to Jesus Christ and his message. There's no philosophy out there that can save, that can forgive sins, that can bring us into a living relationship with God the Father. And so he says, don't get get taken by that. And he talks about human traditions. 
Human traditions can be good, they can be bad. It's kind of traditions or traditions are behavior that's passed down uh, within a group having some kind of significant, uh, some kind of significant uh, to the past. And, and, and a culture would be kind of a set of customs, moral codes, and traditions from a specific time and place. And, and again, traditions or cultures aren't necessarily bad or good. They can be. But again, what, what, what Paul is saying is that they are not over Christ. Christ is more significant than them. Those are all inferior to Jesus Christ. And our traditions and our customs and our cultures won't save us either. And we can't receive our identity from our traditions or our culture because they won't lead us in the right direction. And then he says something that sounds a little bit weird. He says, the elemental spirits of the world. And those who are reading it would think of things like the earth, water, air, fire. They would think about astrology, the planets and the stars. In fact, um, there was a, a very common thought process that, that the planets and the stars were actual celestial beings and that's what you saw in the sky and they were doing things and, 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 and that study of the sky and, and really this elemental spirits of the world that Paul mentions here are the supernatural spiritual created beings that influence and impact our lives and that people begin to, to worship uh, these spiritual beings. And so he was saying those spiritual beings are created by God, but they are not God himself. And Jesus is superior and they are inferior to Jesus. And so maybe the question here when, when Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive, maybe the question is, well, why not? Why, why do we have to see that no one takes us captive? Because Jesus is greater than all of those things. And so verse nine, he, he just kind of unpacks who, who Jesus is. And listen to what, listen to what Paul says in, in verse nine. He says, he says, after he talks about all these things, he says, for in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's a huge statement. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. And let me just unpack that word for word real quick. Whole, the full quantity, that's what whole means. The full quantity of fullness, the whole fullness, fullness being having every necessary part, not leaving anything out. Of deity, the quality of being God, dwells, inhabits, lives, resides in, bodily, physically. That the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. That's why he's superior to all of the other things. That's why nothing can come close to touching him. And then he, and then he goes on and he says, he says, after he gives that very absolute statement of, of Jesus Christ, for in him the whole fullness of, of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. So Jesus has filled us. That, that, that whole fullness of deity dwells bodily also in us, we've been filled with Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. The Jesus, this, this Jesus is the head of all rulers, all authority, so that whether they're, whether they're governing officials, whether they're people who have some kind of authority over you, whether, whether it's the spiritual beings, whether it's nature, whatever it is, Jesus is the head of all of that rule and authority that exists. 
In verse 11, it says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision, and listen to this, made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so right here, Paul continues to to talk about this this spiritual inner work that's happening in us. He's not talking about literal circumcision in baptism because he says circumcision made without hands, it it goes to to, to a a scriptural principle of the circumcision of the heart, that we have have placed our heart aside, we 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 have consecrated, dedicated our hearts to Jesus Christ. And then he says, having been buried with him in baptism, again, not necessarily uh, water baptism is in, is in light here. And, and, and they would be familiar with, with water baptism because uh, practically every Jewish home had a, a baptismal in it for ceremonial washing. But we're not talking about physical, like water baptism at this moment. We're talking about spirit baptism, that you are baptized by the spirit as the spirit saves and sanctifies you. And so he talks about being set apart for God, for his purposes. And then he says in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, right there he's actually talking about the Gentiles because those would be the people who would be characterized as the uncircumcision. And, and so he's talking about the, about the Gentiles. Paul says, and you Gentiles who are dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him And then listen to how he shifts in what he says, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So he says, just to make sure everyone's clear, because there was a lot of Gentiles in the church in Colossae, he says, the Gentiles have been brought into salvation, a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and they're part of God's family. They're reconciled with God, along with all of us, God's chosen people, the Jews, and he says us to put all of those people together, everyone who's been saved by Jesus. He says, that our sins have been forgiven. Forgiven us all our trespasses. And he says, by canceling the record of debt, the debt that we could not pay, that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross with Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. What is he talking about there? He's talking about everything that has rule or authority in all of history. Whether, whether it's human beings or spiritual beings. That, that, he, that, that he disarmed or rendered them harmless and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. And so in other words, what he's saying is that, that he, he brought all authorities, no matter what time or place they are or what form they inhabit, And anyone who exercises control over others, exposing them as fraudulent rulers. That Jesus is the only true king. He's the only true ruler. He's the only one who has the right to define us, to tell us who we are, to have our identity in. And it's funny because Paul just keeps saying this over and over. How many different ways can Paul say that Jesus is superior and through his cross, we are complete? Like none more ways, like that's it. Like he can't say any more ways that Jesus is superior. And so through from verse six, six to 15, Paul has talked about the work expressly that God has done. See, we haven't done any of the work here. 
God has done all of this. Jesus has done all of this. So these things are all true of us already, which is why we are overflowing in thanksgiving. And so then he says, okay, so what do we have to do? Starting in verse 16, he says this. He says, therefore, based on what he just said of all of this work that God has done in you that is already true, we already have to be thankful for. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are all things that that were part of the law. These, verse 17, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It says, let no one pass judgment on you in accordance with the law. He's talking about the law and how the law is not the ultimate judge. And let no one pass judgment on you for what you eat, you drink, what you are doing, the, the festivals, the, 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 all of those things. He, he basically says this, and he's talking about how it was so unfortunate that, that man took God's law, which was supposed to point to, to God and ultimately point to Christ, man took that and turned it into legalism. And legalism is this method of good works and obedience to God, and, and that affects our salvation, and, and it focuses us more on God's laws than the relationship with God. Legalism tends to keep external laws without a truly surrendered heart. And so what he says there is really what the law was made for, it was a shadow pointing to Jesus. And when you think of a shadow, if you see a shadow, you just look at the shadow, you follow the shadow, and you'll eventually end up at the real thing. And so really the law was essentially the shadow that, that, that if you followed it, you'd find Jesus at the end. That's whose feet you'd end up at, at the feet of Jesus. And so the law points to Jesus. Then he says in verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So he says there, let let no one disqualify you and, and with this kind of mysticism. And mysticism, again, is a, is a, is a philosophy. It's this religious belief based on, on union or communion with some kind of spiritual deity that you want to worship. And the goal of, of mysticism is that you will transcend the physical to experience enlightenment. And Paul says, you know, don't, don't, don't let anyone disqualify you by you worshiping spiritual beings or trying to be enlightened because he says, basically, you know how enlightenment is achieved? Enlightenment is achieved by our reflecting the light and the character of Jesus to others. That's what enlightenment is. It's us reflecting the light of Jesus to the, to the people around us. And so then he says in verse 20, he he says one last thing. He talks about not being enslaved. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, in other words, if you were released from your slavery to them, why, as if you were still alive in the world, you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. 
Asceticism being the severe self-discipline or sometimes even bodily harm to avoid all forms of indulgences for religious reasons. And somehow that would make the being that you're worshiping happy with you because you are beating yourself or you are rejecting things on their behalf. And, and, and Paul says, let no one enslave you by that thought because God doesn't want you harming yourself for his pleasure because that's not how God works. You see, what he says here is, let no one pass judgment, let no one disqualify, let no one enslave. He's saying, only allow God to do the work in you and to define you, your identity, because no one else will lead you to, to the truth. Let no one but God, because God has already done it. God has already defined you. Walk in that. Because God has already rooted and built you up in Christ, he's already established you, strengthened you in the faith. And all you have to do is walk in that and walk forward in, in, in thanksgiving and gratitude for what God has done, even if everything else is stripped away. And so, so really, to summarize what Paul has said in this passage is, is that, first of all, Jesus has done the work in my life to reveal who I am. Jesus has already done the work in my life to reveal who I am. Secondly, the fallen world in cooperation with my sin nature is constantly trying to tell me differently. The fallen world tells me all this stuff about my identity, who I am, who I should be. Our culture tells us who we should be, who we should be free to be. Our own sin nature tells us what we should be and what we should look like and what we should become. And, and so the world around me and, and my own fallen nature work together to try to move me from being defined by Jesus to being defined by the world around me. And so my role then is to be thankful and hold on to what Jesus says about me and the world around me, to be grateful for what Jesus has done already. All of these things have already been done in the past and they have done this work. Jesus has done a work in me. And so that's really what, what Paul's saying. So, so the question is, okay, so how does that relate today to March 15th, 2020? It's interesting that, that, that between really last week and this week and even go a month ago, things are very different today than they were a week ago. But remember what, what Paul says in verse six. He says, therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. I want you to know that, that, that verse six was written for us today, right now, March 15th. See, our circumstances have changed radically. All of our lives are altered or interrupted. Some less than others, but, but I, I, would, I would guarantee that there's probably no one today whose life has not been interrupted in some way. And we're talking global. Because of, because of the coronavirus, this, this pandemic, which, which means it's something, it's, pandemic is a term of, uh, of, of uh, like coverage. An epidemic is local, a pandemic is, is wide. And so this pandemic, it's not about necessarily the severity of it, but, it, but the, the land that it encompasses. And so we've got this global pandemic that is, is interrupting, uh, interrupting everyone's lives and, and there's all kinds of things happening and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of uh, misinformation and there's, there's a lot of things that, that people are 
feeling a lot of tension about. I mean, one of the things that probably has changed for most people is, is uh, maybe there's more time spent on personal hygiene, which could be a good thing. Um, those who didn't really do much at all, good, they're starting to wash a little more. So that benefits everyone. Um, so there's some good things that come out of that, but there's also uh, an interruption of our freedom of movement. So many people have had to cancel trips either by their own decision or the government has canceled their trips for them. Thank you. It's kind of them to take care of the cancellations. <laughs> but, but the freedom of movement. And so, and so we've got all of these things and, and people were planning on doing something so they have to refigure what they're doing. Even moving about the community is so interesting. Sherry and I went to lunch at Panera on Friday and, and I almost felt like we were sneaking around. Like we were out and like, oh, there's another car on the road. I wonder what they're doing. And, and you know, we got there and we could see that they were doing things differently at the restaurant. Restaurants have started to do things differently now even. They've changed the way they function to, to try and keep, keep germs out and keep people safe and, and give people confidence that they can still go. And, and, and so there's all of these things about the freedom of movement. Plan, as I said, plans and trips have been changed. And academia, high school, schools, and elementary schools and colleges are in, in, in all kinds of, 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 of trying to figure out what they're going to do. I'm thinking a lot about like seniors in high school and seniors in college and how this is not the senior year they had anticipated or planned. Because for many of them, Spring break is kind of the end of their college career or high school career because some of them may not even go back because of how the colleges are responding to this pandemic. And, and so all of the plans that they had, all of the things that they were imagining, now they're having to sit down and process and say, how does this change for me? I think of those in, in athletics, whether they're like maybe juniors in, in high school who, who are counting on these uh, people coming and watching them play or in college, watching them play their sports and these scouts and, and they're planning and that's either their college ride or, or maybe their occupation that they're hoping for. You know, what, what does that look like for them? There's this uncertainty and, and probably fear in the midst of that. There's people who are, who are in a situation now where they're not even sure about the economy or their income or their finances. What's gonna happen with that? Because people are, are stuck in their homes and people aren't really freely moving about and that affects everyone. And of course, there's, there's great concern on, on numerous levels for those who are vulnerable family members or friends. Those who are susceptible and, and to a much greater degree, who, who already have maybe compromised immune systems. And, and so getting this virus could cause great complications and even be fatal. It's, it's very likely that our lives on the other end of this, when this is, whatever this runs at course, will look different than how they looked before. We already lived in a culture of fear and people already kind of wanted to seem to move toward isolation. Now we live in a culture where probably post-coronavirus will be, what's next? And probably more isolation. I think the only thing that I have to compare this to is, is 9-11. And, and I remember what, what happened at 9-11 was, was people were terrified and, and they were scared and they were sad and they, were, they didn't know what to think, but they were driven together. But this drives people apart for, for safety reasons and for good reason. 
And, and so what does, what does it look like coming out of this? And I share, I share this, this, this statistic with you not to minimize, but as a reminder, the mortality rate of the coronavirus is about 3%, which means 97% of people who have the coronavirus will be around. And again, I don't say that to minimize it, but I share that with you for this reason. Even if every person got the coronavirus, 97% of those people would be around and live. And what we are doing as the church, as Jesus followers now, will be remembered by those 97% of people. Because they'll still be around and they will have seen what the church did during this time. They will have received what the church did during this time. They will have their view and perception of, of God's people adjusted by what we do now. And, and so the, really the question is, is, if we have already received Christ Jesus the Lord, how do we walk in him today and tomorrow and next week? That's, that's answering the question of what God wants from us. How do we walk in him? And what I said at the beginning is Paul asks, he says all of these things, these are discipleship things. The things he's asking us to do, to do or not to do, the grounds that he's asking is because you've identified yourself with Jesus. And so we've identified ourselves with Jesus as Jesus followers. And so what is it that we need to be doing then now, tomorrow, in this coming weeks? Well, first of all, we walk as Jesus walked in wisdom, in truth, and in compassion. We walk in wisdom. We, we are wise about what we do. The reason we are doing church online today is not because we're afraid or we don't have faith in the power of God to heal and to move miraculously. It's because we're walking in wisdom and God calls us to honor those authorities over us and our authorities over us have asked us not to gather in groups of 250 or more. And in wisdom, to care for in compassion those who are vulnerable and so walk as Jesus walked, in wisdom, truth, and in compassion. You see, I think one of the most interesting things about this virus right now is that I think this virus is revealing how much investment we as the church and believers have in the trimmings that this world has to offer and that we at best struggle with Jesus rescuing us from sin's grasp being enough to bring fullness to our lives. The fear that we see even within the church and believing circles is that I'm gonna lose something that's important. But you know what? You can't lose what Jesus has already done in you. And that's what Paul says throughout this passage. He says that Jesus is enough and what he did on the cross completes you. And so you, may, you and I may lose something here moving forward, but we'll still be complete and we will still have what Jesus gave us and has done through us. You see, the call of Jesus 
on every life that claims to follow him is to abound in thanksgiving while reflecting the faith and the hope and the love that characterized Jesus himself. That of all people in the world, on the entire planet, that those who follow Jesus, we are the ones who are the most thankful for what God has done, even in the midst of crisis. That we are the most, we, our faith is there, our hope and, and that our love characterizes everything we do. That, that, we, that thanksgiving comes from the fact that Jesus has given you and I an irrevocable future and time here on earth to point others to him, to be Jesus' shadows. That people can follow us and they'll find Jesus. We point to him in the midst of fear, disappointment in the unknown, when we live with faith in who Jesus is hope in the future that has been secured, and love people beyond our own comfort and benefit. That even in this time, we love people beyond what's comfortable and what benefits us. You see, it is very possible and not unlike God for this present suffering to be an opportunity for the church, the people of God, to remember who their true good, who, who is their true good, and refocus how they are reflecting Jesus to the world. God has done this countless times in history. That God has taken something that has happened in the world around us to refocus his church and remind his church of what's important and to help his church to better reflect Jesus to the world. When, I, uh, when we posted a, a video to our church family this week, we, I, I shared a story as I was talking about the decision for this Sunday and kind of moving forward. I shared a story of, about the emperor Justinian in, in the fourth century in Rome. And there was this massive plague at that point. And, and, and there was, I mean, it was, if you got the plague, you died. You didn't recover from the plague. And so it was 100% fatal for those who, who got it. And so, so there was people fleeing from Rome, all kinds. Those who could flee fled. And, and, and Justinian, he, there was a fragment of a letter that he wrote, found. And, and he, he was really upset because his priests and his, his, his advisors and his officials all left. And the only people who stayed to care for the vulnerable and the weak and the sick were the Christians. And he was angry because, because, because of this, people were coming to Christ. And he was angry because he said, you know who's taking care of our people? People who aren't our people. The Christians are taking care of our people. We're not even taking care of our own people. But the question is this, why did the Christians stay and serve the vulnerable in Rome even after the priest, advisor, and officials took off? even when they knew that if they were gonna care for the vulnerable, they would more than likely give their lives doing it. That's not what we face today, is it? But they did, why would they stay? And here's why. It's because of what Paul says here in, in, in Colossians 2 right now. Because they knew who they were and what they had in Jesus and that they were abounding in thanksgiving so much that it eclipsed the fear and hopelessness of an empire that was being brought to its knees by a plague. And so the question for us today, the question that Paul asks us, the question that Jesus lays out before us is do you know who you are and what you have in Jesus? 
And if you do, that should generate an abounding thankfulness that eclipses any fear or concern about the world around us. And so this week, as an umbrella over you, let gratitude characterize you in everything. Be the most grateful person that you meet anywhere you go. If, if, if your plans are canceled or changed, if, if, if your kids are coming home from, for spring break and, and everything is messed up and you have to cancel your plans, then don't complain. Don't gripe about it. But be grateful for what Jesus has done in you and that that can't be undone. If you're quarantined for 14 days in your house, be thankful that, that, that what Jesus has done in you cannot be taken away. There's three things that I wanna leave you with and we'll, we'll put these up on our, on our socials and, and stuff this week to remind you. But here's what I wanna challenge you. This is how we walk in him today. This is how we walk in him this week. Number one, make wise choices to keep yourself in a position to be, to be Jesus when called upon or the opportunity arises. Make wise choices so that when Jesus calls you to do something, you are in a position to do it. So be wise. Don't be foolish. Don't ignore hygiene. Don't be foolish and go to a place where you will likely get exposed to a virus and say, well, it's okay, I'll recover from it. It'll only be mild conditions. Be wise about the choices you make so that the moment that Jesus lays something in front of you, you're able to act. Secondly, make choices that, that do what will cooperate with our governing leaders' efforts to carry out what God has called them to, regardless of what you think of them. The Bible has really strong language about honoring and obeying the leaders over us as long as they're not asking us to sin. And frankly, asking our state, our state governor, our governor, asking us not to gather in groups of 250 or more is not asking us to sin. And so, as Paul says, don't be a burden to those who govern. So whether you like Gavin Newsom or like Trump or don't like Trump or don't like Gavin Newsom, as far as it goes, do what they've asked and cooperate unless we're asked to sin and then we stand and face consequences. Finally, thirdly, and this is super important and we'll be fleshing this out in days and weeks to come because we wanna be intentional about this. In wisdom and in imitation of Jesus, help and serve sacrificially the people around you. Why does Jesus call us to be wise and take care of ourselves so we're ready to move on his command? Why would we, why would we obey the governing officials over us? So that we can imitate Jesus and help and serve sacrificially anyone who needs help around us. That's what Jesus is calling you to do today. We'll be communicating with you over uh, email and, and social network and in our website. So please check that um, daily 
to see what we're doing. We're gonna continue to, to flesh out what it looks like to be the body of Christ today and tomorrow and weeks coming. I don't know what the weeks hold. Things change so quickly. But I will tell you this, that the mission of Jesus Christ has not changed. And I actually believe that in the context that we're living in right now, open up, opens up a whole bunch of things that weren't open to us before. We have a lot of opportunities that we didn't have before. And, and so keep connected with us because we wanna see how we fellowship, how we pursue Jesus, how we reflect Jesus to the community around us in the days and weeks to come, no matter how long this lasts. I wanna pray for us this morning. And I, wanna, I hope this morning has been encouraging to you as we worship together, as we've sought God in his word, and it was we've gathered, maybe not in this central location, but decentralized, but being worked on and spoken to by the same Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning, and God, I thank you so much that none of this surprises you and that your word is relevant and accurate for whatever we're going through in life. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us courage and boldness as we walk in wisdom in the way of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would use us in a powerful way to bring light and hope and joy to the, to the communities around us. God, that we would be the best citizens who reflect Jesus. That God, we would be the, the greatest servants who serve sacrificially. God, that we would be wise in what we do so that we can have the best and the greatest impact for your kingdom today. That those who oppose you would reflect on this time and say that what makes them the most upset is that the church of Jesus Christ was so present and so active that countless people came to Christ. God, may that characterize us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.